my prayer and hope is that it brings a lot of hope and healing and overall allows women and some men too, because there was a man that wrote a an Amazon review, so men can read it too, to rediscover the joy that Jesus already gave us. And that is based on the scripture in John 15, 11, which says that he put his joy in us. He said that I tell you these things that my joy would be in you, that your joy might be full. And so just a reminder in the book, it's rooted in John 15. So I talk about other parts of that particular passage, but I just want to remind everyone that reads and looks for this particular message as encouragement that joy is constant and it's supernatural. And we have Jesus joy in us that we would experience fullness of joy. And then that scripture where it says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So that is what I want people to be encouraged by that no matter what our circumstances are, that our joy is full. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. If you want more joy in your life, then what my guest has to offer is going to be a great resource for you. Author Doris Swift is here to throw us a lifeline. And what I mean is that she's here to help us identify the joy stealers in our life. As many of us know, joy is not something that we have to cultivate in our own power. And it isn't defined by our circumstances. As believers, it is a fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Because it is a fruit of the spirit, it is something that is already present and available to us. We need only a Identify what we're allowing to get in between us and the joy that is rightfully ours as God's children. Doris has written a six-week Bible study on joy, and this conversation includes these topics, reveal, respond, receive, renew, rest, and reach. I believe her Bible study provides a full investigation of joy, how you can find the fruit of joy in your life, how you can maintain it as well as multiply it increase a joy in your life. 
At the beginning of this episode, Doris shares about an exercise that she challenged her audience when she was at a speaking event to participate in with regard to laying down their joy stealers, as well as agreeing not to take them back. She said she'd love to know if my podcast listeners take her challenge too and engage in the exercise that she talks about. And if you do interact with her proposed exercise, I as well would love to hear how you did and especially what action you took afterward to acknowledge your desire to leave your joy stealer or joy stealers with God in order for him to work them out in your life as you go about your day in his joy. So leave us a comment associated with this episode. Let's listen in to discover the power found in the simplicity of the joy that God has provided for us to have access to. Hi, Doris. Welcome to the show. And I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. It's an exciting time for you. So the timing is perfect. We're going to talk about a timely topic. And I say timely because of the culture today. And to my knowledge, and and I'll admit that that's a brief time in history, but we've experienced a rapid descent into things that would most definitely create fertile ground for Satan to do some of his best work with regard to stealing our joy. And that really makes for a weary heart. So I'm excited to have you here to bring the good news of how we can overcome the things that steal our joy, because you've published a six-week Bible study on joy titled Surrender the Joy Stealers. And you just had your book launch last night. So again, perfect timing. Tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to move into what was the specific scripture or was there one that inspired you to build your message on joy? Sure. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, it was really exciting last night. I had the book launch party for Surrender the Joy Stealers. And the the main purpose really of the book launch party was to celebrate because we don't celebrate enough stuff. There are so many things that are hard in our lives and sometimes we miss celebrating the milestones, but not only the milestones in our lives, but even the everyday things that we can celebrate. And it was to honor God, really, to honor and glorify him for what he has done in the message that he has brought forth. And my prayer and hope is that it brings a lot of hope and healing and overall allows women and some men too, because there was a man that wrote a an Amazon review, so men can read it too, to rediscover the joy that Jesus already gave us. And that is based on the scripture in John 15, 11, which says that he put his joy in us. He said that I tell you these things that my joy would be in you, that your joy might be full. And so just a reminder in the book, it's rooted in John 15. So I talk about other parts of that particular passage, but I just want to remind everyone that reads and looks for this particular message as encouragement that joy is constant and it's supernatural. And we have Jesus joy in us that we would experience fullness of joy. And then that scripture where it says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So that is what I want people to be encouraged by that no matter what our circumstances are, that our joy is full. 
And that's one of the things that I love about the good news that you share is that we don't have to manufacture joy as believers. We have access to it 24 seven nonstop. And I think that comes back to the fruit of the spirit. And we'll get into that because your Bible study is broken into six weeks and the first one being reveal. And how can we recognize when our joy is being compromised? Are there emotions or symptoms associated with having our joy zapped? Mm, Yes. There are so many things in our lives that threaten to steal our joy, even on a daily basis. Some things may be even larger as we would view them, larger joy stealers than others. But sometimes there's things in our past that are actually joy stealers that we've been carrying and don't even realize it. And they kind of manifest out in different behaviors, different ways that we lash out or emotions that just come out of nowhere, or perhaps there's issues with some type of an addiction. And the first week reveal is so that we can work through that because rather than waiting until like week three or week four or even week six to work on this. This is something that we want to do right up front. And I do share in the first week that we can also ask the Lord to reveal what it is if we're not sure. You know how sometimes we'll say, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, what is wrong with me? And sometimes we don't really see what it is. Other people might see it in us and be able to speak some truth into our lives. There's sometimes we know exactly what it is. So that's why it's so important to name it, to actually put a name to it. I bring up a story about when I was in banking because I was a banker for 29 years. And when you're in banking that long, the odds are pretty good that you're going to go through a bank robbery. I mean, it's not something that you want to really think about, but we have to think about it. We get trained for it to be ready. And there were a couple of them that I was actually involved in. And the second one I would say was really more traumatic. They're all traumatic, but the second one was a really big bunch of joy stealers that came that day to take over the office and, you know, do all of the things that you see on TV sometimes in the movies where they're, you know, pointing weapons at people. And it it was really hard. It was a hard thing to go through. But what I wanted to bring out in that wasn't to focus so much on the event itself, but the fact that after the event is over, which is really only a matter of maybe minutes, it seems so long when it's happening, but right after a robbery, we are trained to take out a description sheet and start writing down anything that we can remember about the person or person's who came in the bank that day. We have to write down, did we see any tattoos? You know, what color hair were they wearing a disguise about how tall they were? Because if you notice, sometimes when you go into a bank, there are markers on the door and that's to see what the height is, you know. And so, you know, if we have the wherewithal to even look, we can kind of see about how tall they were. And sometimes they seem giant and they might not have been that tall, but because of the seriousness of the issue, sometimes we see things magnified. but you know, we write all these things down and the purpose is so that we can give that information to the police because before a threat can be eliminated, it has to be identified. And things too, that I've learned in my counseling background, being, you know, trained in that 
is it's important to put a name to something. And sometimes people are so freed by that because they wonder, is it only me? You know, what is this I'm going through? And then when you actually name something, it's like, oh, this is actually a thing. Okay, now what do I do with this thing? And so that's when we go into week two, which is the surrender week. I think when you call something out, call it what it is, identify it, it gives you a target to actually hit. And I think that's where you can put your energy and your focus into making that shift into overcoming it now that you know what it is. Mm -hmm. You've listed some very obvious one, uh, addiction and a bank robbery. I think of grief as big flags as far as joy stealers. But what are some of the sneaky ones? Mm. You know, the sneaky ones that I talk about in the book are envy, jealousy, things that you might not even be aware that you have, like pridefulness. Sometimes we can be our own best joy stealer manufacturer. You know, right, we yeah. don't realize it. But I mentioned in the in the study, you know, in the section that talks about surrendering our idols, because we don't have a golden calf in our backyards. I mean, how many people do? Really? We don't yeah. we don't have a golden calf in our yards. And so we might not realize that things in our life that we are putting so much focus on and we are almost obsessed with can be our joy stealer that is actually an idol. So I just I wanted to bring out the fact that sometimes it can be pridefulness, our own pride. And we may not think of ourselves as being prideful. Now, it's one thing where you want to say, oh, I'm so proud of, you know, my grandkid or, you know, something like that. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're so proud that we cannot see our own faults or we maybe blame other people for things when it's something that we need to take ownership and responsibility for. And those those things can really become a bitter root. Unforgiveness is another thing that we harbor. And that really can threaten to steal our joy because we oftentimes want to hold on to it because we feel like it's a defense mechanism, but also that it will hurt the other person. But in the long run, it's really only hurting ourselves. And a lot of those things that I did name in the book, because there are so many things that you couldn't even contain in a book of the things that threaten to steal our joy. But I, what I did was I categorized the joy stealers from an event that kind of inspired it, the book itself, when I talked about stealing the joy. And we're going to talk about that. But I categorized those main things that I saw as trends that women seem to struggle with like health issues, finances, relationships, marriages, prodigal kids, addictions, all of those kind of things. And a lot of the the other joy stealers that maybe aren't named fall into one of those categories. It can get pretty broad, I guess. But one of the things that caught my attention is that they can become idols. So you can go from not just having your joy 
sapped out of you, but it can also be an idol that you're really struggling with. So now it makes me think that when you do name it, when you do put a target on it, now you've got this opportunity to lay that idol down and find freedom even from that. I'm not going to say it's easy because any of the maturing process with God hasn't always been easy for me, but the freedom that's behind it when you finally do lay it all down. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on or even advice in the times when there's a specific relationship that sucks the joy out of us? Hmm. That is so difficult. I know. I begin every day of the study with a call to prayer. And I call it scripture fed prayer for the journey because it is a journey and we need to bathe everything in prayer. So the first and foremost, most important thing that we can do in any kind of relationship struggle is to go to the Lord. And I know that sometimes can sound cliche, but God, God is the only one who knows both hearts what's going on within both hearts. Cause we don't even know what's going on in our own heart. Right. Oftentimes right. as the word word says, you know, that our hearts can be so deceiving even to ourselves. And then God is the only one that knows all of the circumstances surrounding everything that's happening. God is the only one that knows what the future holds. And God is the one who created forgiveness because <laughs> he forgave us. And he also is love. And we can love because he first loved us. So we can trust him with issues we're having with relationships and we can pray for resolution. Oftentimes we want to pray that God will fix the other person. But what I like to bring out in the study, which God has really taught me, is we can't fix other people, but we can fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we can look for transformation within ourselves and and work on that with God. It's like a a partnership we do with God where he helps us and we are sanctified day by day. And then he can lead us to godly people who can also help us work through it. So maybe he will refer us to see a faith-based counselor. And sometimes the other person isn't willing to go, but you can still go. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Because I know sometimes there are family members or people even within the church that may not see counseling as a necessity or even something that we should need to do because we can just go to God. And, you know, God is our our counselor, right? That's one of his names. And so we can we can do that, though, because it is a sign of strength where we seek others in the, the scripture you know, is full of things that tell us that it is good to seek wise counsel. I agree with you there. I have benefited tremendously from counseling, Christian-based, faith-based counseling and other therapies, the theophostic therapy, prayer therapy, and then now recently emotion code therapy with Christian-based emotion code therapy. And more to your point, I cannot count the times that God changed me and not my circumstance, but yet Again, I can make that point of freedom because it freed me up from the ways that I had entrapped myself in that situation. So there's that, you know, another level of freedom, just engaging God's heart on on where you're at, where you're struggling, where your pain points are. Real quick, can I think this is probably the best place to do it, or at least an appropriate time to do it. You gave an example 
of asking the women at a conference to write down what they, their joy stealers. And so walk my listeners through that process of how they can lay their joy stealers down once they recognize it. Or do you think we should introduce it later? It's fine to talk about it up front because I actually bring it up in the introduction so that women know kind of where this is coming from, where this began. And it actually began when I created this book proposal. Originally, the book proposal was called Fierce Calling because I thought it was going to be kind of the concept of, of the podcast. And instead, I put that story into the book about the women's event. And that's where it was actually my agent, Blythe, who looked at it and said, why don't we do something with this? Because you have to find something that's a kind of a unique spin for mm-hmm. it to even get published because there's so many books on calling. So this yeah. was a little bit of a like unique viewpoint or avenue to to go down. But this whole book really came forth from an event that I spoke at in 2013. It was a speaking engagement and I was speaking on joy. And you know how oftentimes speakers will ask you to do certain things like change tables or get up and do this or that. And sometimes we're the ones in the audience going, oh, now what are we going to have to do? You know, so I really didn't know how many women would participate, but I just felt God was the one that led me to write on little, you know, I asked the women at one point in the talk, what is threatening to steal your joy today? And I had little slips of pink paper on their table, just really tiny slips of paper. And it had that question on it. What threatens to steal your joy? Just simple question. So I wasn't sure how many women in the audience there would actually participate. But from where I could see on the platform, it looked like women couldn't grab those pens fast enough to write something down. And I feel like it's important because sometimes what we really need is just someone to listen and to validate that what we're feeling or going through is something worth sharing, worth speaking of, that it's a thing that they can get off their chest. You never know what's going on in the life of a woman sitting next to you at an event on an airplane at McDonald's. And so at this event, they wrote these things down on this small slip of paper. And let me tell you, the slip of paper was small. So I think my only, which we're not supposed to have regrets. My only regret was that I didn't make the paper bigger, you know, larger for the women. But what they did was they wrote it down. Some of them were very good at recapping whatever it was. Some of them turned it over and even used the back of the slip of paper. And so I asked them to bring it, bring it up front as an act of surrender, because they have to actually get out of their chair and walk forward and and deposit these joy stealer slips into this box that was in the front as kind of as like a surrender to God. It was an act of surrender because when we take action, it means something. So when they did that, God saw what they were doing. They were coming up and they were going to surrender that to him. 
And then in exchange, there was someone standing right there by them that handed them a white carnation as they walked back to their seats. And that was to symbolize, I just surrendered this joy stealer or joy stealers could be multiple joy stealers at the same time to you, Lord. And I accept and receive the joy that you have given me and your peace that surpasses all understanding. And so just about all the women in the room participated in this and it was very powerful. And, you know, at the end of, of an event, you're, you're busy, you're saying bye to people. Women are coming up and talking a little bit about what you've talked about. And so it gets kind of busy. So I grabbed that box and put it with my belongings and brought it home. And the joy stealer slips were all anonymous. So I didn't know who wrote what on the slips because it was very personal and it was to God. But I brought them home because I wanted to pray on them and just pray for each woman represented by that slip of paper that they would not take their joy stealers back, that they've surrendered. And sometimes it's a daily thing. Sometimes we can surrender it and just go, okay, God, you take it. You've got this and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm giving it to you. But there are some that we have to just continually like, God, I know I surrendered this and please forgive me if I keep trying to take it back, but I want to continue to surrender this to you and be free of this because you want me to do this. You've asked me to do this. And so I started reading them. And I mean, I expected things like issues with weight, issues with unruly children and schedules that are crazy, which they were there. And those are valid joy stealers. But there were a lot of them that were even deeper that had the woman been asked to put their names on the papers, I don't know if they would have written the same thing. So I just started reading them and I'm in the middle of my living room floor. And by the time I finished with the last one, I was like in a full on ugly cry and my husband didn't know whether to run or consult me or what's going on? What's happening here? Anyway, it just impacted me. And it really reminded me of what my calling and heart is, is to minister to women who are hurting. And it could be things that have happened to them in the past, things that are happening to them right now, and and to help them to be equipped to go to the Lord and have these actionable steps that they can take for when joy stealers come in the future. Because we know that they're going to be hitting us, you know, especially when we when we're in Christ. Because the enemy wants to steal our identity and he wants to kidnap us from our family, which is the family of God. And so it's it's going to happen and we're going to be targeted for that. But that was what the event brought about. And it it really brought about a transformation within me because, as I say, a fierce calling is where our passion, compassion and conviction intersect. And that just really brought those all home for me that day because women's ministry is so important. Women need women. Women need to be ministered to. And they sometimes feel misunderstood or forgotten or that they don't have any value or worth because of where they've been, what they've done, what's been done to them. But that's not true. 
So I pray that this study will help them to surrender those things. Just the act of writing it on the paper really gives you a target to say, I I recognize it. I'm going to acknowledge that that's what this is or that's what it's doing to my life. And so I think that's very helpful. How can we translate what you did in your conference? How can we do that for our listeners today? They can write something on a piece of paper. How can they go put it in the box like the trash can? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say now journaling is also very healthy and a lot of people find that freeing to journal, but not everybody likes to journal. Not everybody does that. Or sometimes people are concerned about writing something in a journal because someone else might see it. And it's supposed to be private and personal between them and God. Maybe I would say if they just took a little slip of paper and wrote their joy stealer or joy stealers on it and just surrendered it to God, like it's really praying. It's praying and talking to God. And then they can do whatever they feel led. They could tear it up. They could put it in a shredder. That's always very satisfying. (laughs) If you have a shredder, access to a shredder, you can shred it. Don't you love shredding? It's just like, oh, let's just clear ourselves of junk. You know, this stuff that's that's cluttering. And it's, it's kind of like that in our hearts, in our souls. These joy stealers can become like clutter within us. And it, it would be so freeing for us to surrender that in a way of we're just, we're giving it to God and we're just going to shred that away. And, or when we can crop it out, (laughs) just crop it like we do a photo and do it. However you feel led. Yep. You can shred it. You can tear it up. I think Sherry, since you may not have a white carnation right there, you could actually buy yourself some flowers. (laughs) You could do that. that. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't have to wait for someone else to buy us flowers. We can do it ourselves or we can to save money. We can go outside and pick flowers. We can take in a breath of fresh air or what I love to say is a breath of fresh hope and observe our surroundings. And maybe you could even drive somewhere that brings you a lot of peace. You can drive if you're close to a beach or a lake or maybe a park or something, you know, with, with a very tranquil environment that, that brings that peaceful feeling. And you just feel so connected with God and what he's created for us, for our, for our enjoyment. And so, yeah, any of those things. And it would be really cool to hear from your listeners, what things they might have done to do that. Cause I know people can think of such unique ways to do this exercise. It's true. It's true. So if my listeners are willing, send me a message about what you did in order to get rid of that, or at least to acknowledge and then submit that joy stealer to the Lord. Okay. So there's always the threat of trying to pick it back up again. You have to share about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, week two is surrender. So we're talking a lot about surrendering. And I think oftentimes We want to surrender, but our heart may not be fully in it. So I can give an example. There was a time where I was ready to just surrender everything to God in regards to ministry stuff. Because sometimes God will prune us with, like, I talk about pruning a lot because we're talking about John 15 in the study. and 
Jesus tells us how his father is the vine dresser and the vine dresser prunes the vines so that they become healthier and can bear more fruit. So sometimes we need to be pruned. (laughs) And so we can ask God to help us in that we are open to wherever his pruning needs to take place. And sometimes it can be a good thing. Sometimes it can be ministry work. So it's not always something bad or toxic or negative, you know, that he wants to prune from us. But I was just thinking, it's such a hard road, especially to a lot of people might realize the journey that it is, because it can take, you know, several years for a book to come out. And oftentimes it begins with a lot of writing and then next thing you're writing a book proposal and then the proposal takes a long time to write and then your proposal gets submitted and then you have to wait and certain publishers might say no this isn't a good fit for us so you might go through a lot of rejection and you have to really work through that with God and realize the rejection isn't personal the rejection is his way of giving us his best because those no's are better for us than what could have been if it was a yes, because his yes is best for us. So anyway, so I just had a day where I was just tired and it can get really exhausting. And so I was about to just lay it all down. I said, Lord, if you, if you don't want me to do this podcast anymore, if you don't want me to even write anymore, if you don't want me to do this, whatever ministry work I'm doing now, if there's something else that you want me to do, I don't want to waste another minute missing what your calling is for me. Because if this is something that I'm doing and this is my idea, which I really didn't feel that way because just over time, there's so many affirmations that God opens. Because, you know, it can get exhausting waiting, waiting, waiting and, and trying to do things. And so one day I said that. I just need to know, and this is, if it's up to you, whatever you want to do, I'm surrendering this all to you. And it's like the next day, my agent emailed me and she hadn't actually signed me yet because that's another thing too. It's not really easy to get an agent because they want to be able to represent authors who have really huge platforms, you know, lot, lots of followers and huge platforms because Basically, authors have to do a lot of their own marketing these days. And so she said, how about thinking about this as a Bible study? Have you ever thought about writing a Bible study? And I said, absolutely. I can see this because she had suggested, suggested that it be like a devotional, you know, before or something. And it just, and I, I write devotions. I do that. I used to be a blogger and I'd write a lot of devotionals and devotions. And I even submitted different chapters and things to devotionals, but it just didn't feel like this project was supposed to be a devotional. So I, it kind of didn't strike me, but when she said Bible study, I was like, yes, this is what I see this as being. And so I just really felt that in a powerful way. God may not do those things immediately because it's his timing, but I just felt like, wow, when we truly surrender And he knows that we mean it. Something happens. It like activates something. And maybe even in the spiritual realm, because let's face it, we talk about 
a lot of that in the world is filled with messages of spirituality and all this like new agey stuff. And people think that's so fascinating. And it's like, read the Bible. There's so much in there that talks about the fact that this isn't even our real home. You know, we're just here for a a time, but our real home is in heaven. And there's nothing more supernatural than that, you know, eternity with Jesus. So these are things that we want to surrender so that we can walk forward in what God's calling us to do so that we can make an eternal impact and we can help others to see that there's a bigger picture, that there is an eternity and that we can live our life even here and now on this broken planet we live in with joy, the joy that Jesus gave us, that our joy would be full. So more to your point of surrender, it sounds like it's really key, but that word can be very scary to a lot of people. It sounds weak. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you're going to be run over. Can you share with us the power of surrender in this context where you're not asking people to surrender to anything or anyone, but to the one? What is God's value system with regard to surrendering the anxiety and the pain of this life to him? And I guess maybe a better question is what's the payoff? That's a great question, Sherry. And I talk about that in week two. And I even put a definition of what surrender is, you know, what, what the dictionary says surrender means. And sometimes people will think of it, like you say, as a weakness, like, oh, we're waving the white flag. We're giving up. You know, the enemy is going to win because we're surrendering. Or even like if you think about it as maybe some of your kids or grandkids play soccer. If you don't have enough players on your team, you have to basically give it to the other team. We always think of it as when you surrender, you're, you're losing. But that is not in God's economy. Because in God's economy, when we surrender to him, like the hymn that says, I surrender all. Like we sing that in church. But are we listening to the words? What does that actually mean? And surrender is powerful. Surrender is something that is honoring to God. And surrender is saying, I'm not giving up walking with you, Lord. I'm not giving up my calling. I'm not giving up being your child. I'm just giving up these things that are so hard. And in your word, you didn't say you would give us more than we could handle that. That's like a myth. That was like a a twist on a verse that, that tells us that he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can, what we can bear without giving us a way out. So surrender is our way out. We can surrender it to him and say, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. And I would, I would think God would kind of tell us, well, what do you keep saying? You keep saying, I, 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 we try to do it in our own power and in our own strength. So when we surrender, it's more of like a partnership. It's like, okay, God, I'm surrendering it to you. Doesn't mean it's going away completely. Although he can take it completely away. He totally can do that. God is a God of miracles. God can do anything. God is able. But sometimes there's a purpose that we don't even see as to what we're learning as we're going through these difficult times. So when we surrender it to God, 
we're surrendering our fear, our worry. We're surrendering maybe it being an idol. We're surrendering the things that are toxic to us so that we can be free. As you say, Mm. that was a great point. It it brings freedom. Doesn't mean things that are humanized see will change immediately, but we can always trust that something is going on that we cannot see. And we can trust because God is faithful. And although we might not be able to trust people in our lives, sometimes we can't even trust ourselves. We can always trust God. So I feel like surrender has a different definition when we look it up in the word, you know, in the word of God, it's, it's a lot different. Now there's a lot of stories of, of wars and fighting and and things like that, you know, especially in the old Testament when we read about that. And, but I think this surrender is a different kind of surrender. We're surrendering our own fight with the enemy because it, we have to not discount the fact that we have an enemy of our soul who's trying to still kill, still, I can't talk today, steal, <laughs> kill, and destroy. And so when we think about the joy stealers, oftentimes that is what's happening. Now we can't blame the enemy for everything, you know, give them credit for everything, but there are so many things in our lives that the enemy is behind for sure. And so we're just saying, you know what? I'm a child of God. I'm surrendering this fight to him. And the word tells us that the Lord fights for us. We need only be still, mm. but we can do all things for, through Christ who gives us strength. Yeah. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So it all kind of ties in. I love the bridge that you're building though, that we're not qualified to fight Satan. We're not his equal. We don't understand him. I mean, what little bit we understand. God is the one who is qualified for that fight as far as he's already overcome it. He's already put him in his place. So it makes complete sense that in God's value system, surrender is really a power position, a position to receive from God. And that's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Can't argue with that at all. Is it possible to discover our calling and our purpose in the midst of surrender? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, surrender. I love how you did put it that way. But does tie in to the concept of a battle. And we have been given authority in the name of Jesus to bind things on earth that'll be bound in heaven and all of that. And so we cannot do this on our own. And I love that scripture that says, submit to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from us. because. We sometimes forget the submit to God part and we just want to like resist the devil. So he'll flee like in the name of Jesus, devil, you get out. And Jesus's name is powerful. But even in the scripture where the disciples were trying to cast out evil spirits or whatever, and they were like, how come we couldn't do it? And so Jesus goes on to teach them about that. We have a lot to learn, but we must submit to God first because the key is when we aren't submitting to God in different areas of our life, it's an open door. So if we give the enemy a foothold into our lives by something that we're doing that is like an act, a sinful act that we might not think is sinful, 
any type of rebellion yeah. is yeah. sin. So if we open a door, it's almost like we're saying, come on into my life. The enemy is still going to have these attacks, especially on believers, because he knows that we're sharing the gospel with people. Remember, remember that song in Sunday school that we used to sing, be careful, little eyes, what you see, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. be careful, little hands, what you do. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, it's like innocent and precious. And we, and we sing that and we teach kids that when we teach Sunday school, but we, it goes for everybody. It's not just for kids. <laughs> you know, sometimes we might think as an adult, like, oh, it's okay for me to watch this because I'm an adult. Like my, my grandkids are fun. And, you know, as they're growing up, they say things like, oh, well, it's PG-13 and I'm 13. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the world who put that on there. Like they said it was okay. But I don't think God's liking this too much. You know, if you look at some of the PG-13, it's really what R used to be. Yeah. And some of the R's are kind of even what X used to be. So, yeah. you know, it's like when we do look at things from a worldly perspective, what are we allowing the world to tell us is okay? And that's not okay. So, you know, it's important to remember that surrendering can be hard, but that is something that God wants us to do. We can do it every day. And it is something that we don't do alone. In week four, it's about renew. And so it talks about renewed spirit, renewed mind, renewed strength, renewed purpose. What part of our responsibility do we carry to maintain this constant stream of renewal? And I'm not referring to works. I'm talking about the part of relationship where we engage the other person, where we choose to spend time with them. And in this case, I'm talking about Jesus, this renewing of relationship. Yeah, we can get really like tired and we can actually draw away from the Lord because we are so busy. We keep busy, busy, busy. And I think renewed, which later on in the study, we're going to go into talking about rest. It all kind of fits together, but I purposely put renewed before rest because it's different. Sometimes people might think of it as the same thing, like I'm renewed and it is restful for us to be renewed. But we are transformed by the renewing of our minds through reading the word of God and spending time with him. And the, the real important thing to remember is sometimes we might have even been raised in a church that did not talk a lot about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we weren't even raised in church at all. You know, we might not know him. We might have just met him. But there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and even loving Jesus yeah. and knowing him personally and having a personal relationship with him. And I never understood what that meant. I was raised in a church where we didn't really even bring our Bibles to church. So we didn't we didn't know how to really read the word on our own. We weren't encouraged to do that. It's not like we couldn't take responsibility for it. but we didn't realize we could, you know, yeah. cause it's like, that's the way it was. You just trusted people who were more, more learned than you that could tell you what the word of God says. And now if you have a really good shepherd, a good pastor in your church, 
who encourages you to read the word on your own and not just go by what they're saying. That's the sign of a true leader because a leader is discipling us to, to study wor- the word on our own. But it starts really first with a personal relationship with Jesus. And it really is a heart change. And we need the heart change before we can actually move forward and be renewed. Mm-hmm. Because in the spirit, the spirit transforms us. We go through this transformation when we accept Christ as our savior. We become a new creation where we go through a regeneration. Like sometimes you buy a new car, or you buy a new refrigerator, and then yeah, after a year or two, it's like, ah, it's an old thing. We used to take good care of it and make sure everything was okay. And you did that when it was still under warranty. And then when the warranty goes out, you're like, ah, this old thing. And we don't purposely do that. Not everybody does that. But I'm just thinking, you know, it's kind of similar to us. When we first meet Jesus, it's so precious. And it's like this new love story. And then after a while, we get busy and we forget our first love. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our first love. And sometimes it's like, okay, hello, where are you? So we forget our first love. And so getting back to him and spending time with him and and just really having a personal relationship. Some people will think, well, I don't hear God talking. What does that even mean? How how do I have a personal relationship? But, you know, it is a two-way street. We want to spend time with him. We want to ask him every day, Lord, what is it that you want me to see today? How can I walk with you? How can I partner with you in kingdom work? Because Jesus was all about the kingdom when he was here. That was his message. You know, he wanted to, to share about the kingdom. And so we, we can do that in a personal way. So we sometimes make it harder than it is. We want to put like big definitions on things, or we want to use huge words that might sound complicated, like the word abide. You know, sometimes we think of abide as, oh, that sounds negative. Like you will abide by my rules. You know, that kind of can sound different to different people, but I like to share in the study how mainly abide equals remain, you know, remain in me, remain in my love. We are branches that remain in the true vine, which is Jesus. And the father is the vine dresser. So it's a just a beautiful relationship we've been brought into that we're part of and we forget, we forget that we are. So I think that's the main thing is to each morning because mercies are new every morning as the word tells us. So just, you know, to, to remember, Hey, who, who Jesus is and who he is to us. That's the most important thing you can ask someone else. If you're witnessing to them or you're discipling them, or even just having a faith conversation. I think one of the main questions that I usually love to ask is who is Jesus to you? And that really reveals a lot because sometimes two people might say that they're even Christian, but you ask, okay, well, when did you become a Christian? When, when did you have that born again experience? And they might answer, well, I was born Christian, which that's not a bad answer. It's just not the right answer because, you know, we're not really born into it. I mean, we are born into a family of Christians, maybe, but our faith can only ride on the coattails 
of our parents or of our grandparents, of whoever that person in your life that is a faithful person that taught you about Jesus or even led you to Jesus, where you met Jesus. But then our faith has to become our own faith. Yeah. I used to tell my children, I'm just pointing you in the right direction. There will come a time in your life that when you cry out to him, because I've pointed you in that direction, you'll know that's who you cry out to, but he's going to have to be real to you. And the other point you make about marriage and or anything new that it's exciting when it's new, but then it falls into a lull and we can get, we can do the same thing with Jesus. We see it in marriages. We see it with the new car. We see it with the new house. That's just how we are. And if we don't continually choose to renew that, then it definitely will get stale and get old and will fall away. One of the other things that I take for granted, and that is rest. And I think a lot of people forget the importance of rest. I didn't always value rest, but since I've been purposeful in adding it into my life, it's been an amazing transformation with regard to reclining in the Lord and letting him do the heavy lifting of life and receiving from him and enjoying the joy and the process of surrender. So rest is a command and a gift from the Lord. What is rest in heaven's value system when we put it in the context of joy? Mm, I love how you just said reclining in the Lord. That just sounds amazing. (laughs) That's so good. I like to bring out in the study too, that oftentimes people might equate rest to relaxation, which we can relax in the Lord too. We can recline in him. We can relax in him, but it's, it's a lot different because true rest is deep down, deep down to our souls kind of rest. You know, that point sometimes when we get so, so exhausted, And it's not really tired and we can't even like lay down and even sleep doesn't refresh us. And a lot of us don't get enough sleep, (laughs) which is true. But rest truly comes from like a Sabbath rest, a deep rest for our souls. And that really also includes soul care. And it's not the same as self-care because, of course, self-care is important. You know, we want to brush our teeth. We want to brush our hair. We want to, you know, eat the right things and take care of our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But rest is so much deeper. And it's something that we can only do when we're connected to the vine. Mm. We're the branches that are connected to this vine. When we think about it, What happens to a vine when its branches are not connected? The vine stays sturdy and strong because it's supporting the other branches. But branches that are not connected to the vine are going to fall to the ground. They're going to wither. And they're not going to be worth very much value. They're not going to really have much purpose except maybe to be thrown into a fire to feed it for a short length of time and then it becomes ashes. And so we want to be that vibrant branch abiding in the vine, grafted into that vine so that we can get our nutrients from the vine. We can get everything that we need from that vine, which is Jesus. So that is where our true soul rest comes from. And there's some red flags when we start getting so, so busy that we put God last, you know, we don't 
purposely do that sometimes. We just don't even realize we're doing it, but we can really get our priorities mixed up and our schedule is too full for divine appointments that God wants to set on our calendar. I think that being connected with him, asking him, you know, what is it that you want me to do today? I also talk about, I was always the yes girl, you know, saying yes to everything. And I, and it really can fall into people pleasing, which isn't really something that God calls us to do. Because even in the word, Paul says, you know, am I pleasing man or am I pleasing God? You know, we have to think about it. And if we're doing something that we're not called to do, even if it's something good, we're stepping on the toes of someone else that might actually be called to do that. For example, I volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center, faith-based pregnancy center in our community for several years after I left banking. And I loved doing that so much. And I got to be really close friends with the director and just got to minister to so many women and really not only women, which it was women of a lot of different childbearing ages, not just young women, but also men that would come in with them and ministering to them and just showing them what life means and that they have options and just giving them hope and encouragement. And it was just right, right in my wheelhouse of loving to do that because one of my spiritual gifts is exhortation, encouragement, you know, wanting to help other people like that and also teaching. So I wanted to be able to do that. And there came a time though, when things in my life were changing and I kind of struggled with it, but I felt like I was supposed to lay that down. And I thought it didn't make sense because I had gone back to work and actually working in my church and we're closed on Fridays. And that's the day I used to go volunteer. And I thought, well, God gave me this, you know, work on staff at the church and still have Fridays off. So why would I need to leave that position? But it was time. So when I went and I had a, had a chat with Roxanne, the director, a lot of things came out, including tears, <laughs> my tears. Right. And it, it was just hard. It was hard to let that go. But knowing that God was, in a sense, pruning that from my schedule, from my life at that time. And and something I think Roxanne actually was the one that said it. She said, well, if you then step away from this position, it opens up for someone else to step in, which, you know, that is something we can think about. So we have to really be in tune to what God is doing in our life, but not fill our schedule so packed full because we want to say yes to everything. Or we think, well, if I say yes to everything, it's kind of hit and miss. I'm going to definitely be doing something God wants me to do. But that's not really his plan to exhaust us. So so I think really the refreshment comes through, first of all, with the personal relationship with Jesus. Because no one, no one can come to the Father yet except through Jesus. Like the Father sees us through his son, blameless and, and good and holy. Yeah. And so, so it's such an important relationship that we're part of. And when we do that, we're, we're renewed and God will continually call us to different things in different seasons. 
And sometimes we might not recognize something we're doing as an actual calling. Maybe if you're a busy mom, you're not really realizing that's a calling. You're thinking, oh, I used to work or I used to volunteer at this and that. Now I'm I'm really busy. But when you look and see, well, what I'm doing now is actually my calling, you know, and so or maybe you're you're caring for aging parents or maybe you have a spouse and you are the main caregiver for your spouse. Those are those are precious callings that many we we wouldn't really choose, but they're just as precious. We're getting into week six, which is reach. And one of the a little bit of info or encouragement offer some young moms. I think one of the advantages of being a mom is that as your children progress and they age and you get to move and flow with wherever they are. Like for me, I was a stay-at-home mom. So maybe I'm speaking only to stay-at-home moms. I'm not sure, but it gave me an opportunity to use all of my gifts and talents as I would follow them through their various interests and their grade levels and whatnot. So I might be volunteering here in this season, but later I can use other gifts and talents and volunteer in another way. It just seemed to be fluid and moving and God was reshaping and shaping over the years that I was raising children. But if you go with that flow and find where you can serve in that moment, connected with your family, that was a a huge asset for me and, and my family. So you're never limited to where you're at. God's always got something. And when we talk about reach, it kind of, and for me, it brings me back to that fact that joy is a fruit of the spirit. And that is such good news. We need only activate the fruit of joy. And so the fruit is the result of an investment of time and energy. And in this case, engaging the heart of God. What is some of the fruit that we can expect to experience when we walk in this spirit of joy? Mm -hmm. I really love to encourage that we are not in charge of actually producing the fruit, which is so freeing when I realized that, you know, because sometimes we can really fall into a, a pit of, am I, where's the fruit? Nothing. I don't see any fruit. I must be doing something wrong. But when we're abiding in Christ as a branch abides in the true vine, we can trust that when we're open, when we leave our schedules available for God to work these divine appointments into our schedules, when we ask to open our eyes and see others as God sees them, we begin to see the needs and the things that he's calling us to do in order to reach others for the furthering of the kingdom. And sometimes we might settle for the low hanging fruit. (laughs) And so reach is reaching out. Reach is a stretch sometimes for us because it may not always be within our comfort zones, but we grow more outside when we step outside our comfort zone than if we stay where we are. And In the week six in reach, just bringing out the fact that God produces the fruit in us. And I sometimes will share an example of my friend, Annie. She has a a meal ministry and she doesn't do it all on her own. She has a ministry called Feed My Sheep. And when there is a need, someone maybe had surgery, someone isn't connected to a church and they've been in the hospital and, you know, she'll 
she'll activate a whole team of other, I call them other mad meatloaf makers or something, (laughs) you know, who will engage in that community effort to bless someone physically. Because as we bless someone's physical body and physical needs, as Jesus did, you know, he would heal them. And then, you know, he would share truth. He would forgive their sins, you know, and all of those things. And so when we, when we're doing that, we're actually being Jesus's hands and feet to a lost and dying world, or even to our neighbor who might even know Jesus, but needs encouragement for that day. So reach can be so many different things. And I I wanted to give different examples because ultimately we've been given spiritual gifts. When we're in Christ, we have gifts and sometimes we're not using them in the way that they were intended to be used. Kind of like if you receive a gift from someone, maybe at Christmas or your birthday, and you never open the gift, you're not going to know what it is. And you're not going to feel that joy. And the person who gave it to you isn't going to experience the blessing of you receiving it with joy. Because, you know, it is so fun to give someone a gift that you've taken great care in selecting and the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. And I think I even mentioned in the book that, you know, we weren't in the restroom when he was giving out the spiritual gifts. We, we have a spiritual gift, at least one. So we may not know what it is, but we can, we can discover that through God revealing it to us through the different ways that we use it. And then we feel just energized and we feel something special when we're using that gift we just know that it's something that we've been given and others will see it in us and tell us different things that we might not see in ourselves but that doesn't mean that god can't use us outside our gifting because he certainly can call us to things that maybe we're not gifted for to i love to make meals for our family and that kind of thing but i don't really feel like i have the gift of hospitality in the way some other people have it, but I want it. I want to have it, but we don't have to envy other people's spiritual gifts or gifts. But even if it's not something that's one of our top gifts, we can still do that and we can still open our homes to people. So I give different, different ways that people can use their gifts, but to know that, for example, too, Annie makes jelly, but I often give the example that she doesn't make the grapes she just uses the grapes to create the jelly so if we are abiding in the vine and then we are connected to Jesus we are reading his word we're studying his word we're getting into his word we're applying it to our life fruit will come we may not know it all right away we might not even see the fruit for years to come but just knowing that we might be someone who's planting a seed or we might be someone who's watering the seed we don't have to be all things to all people it's just whatever god's called us to do in that particular season so we could also when we think about it be an answer to someone else's prayer when we minister to someone That's true. And even as you're talking about that, I see yet another layer of freedom because when we keep God's pace with wherever he's calling us to be, it takes the burden off of the work 
that he's called us to do because we're not getting out ahead of him, grabbing up things that, oh, we just know he would say, do this. And so we're doing it. But he's like, baby, I didn't say anything about that. And something else that I'm reminded of when you're talking about discovering gifts and talents is that one of the things I will tell people is the first place you should go into a discussion with God is the places where you feel least qualified, like you stutter maybe, but you feel God's calling you to talk or speak or another place that you feel discredited in because Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy. And I can almost guarantee you that he has tried to snuff it out before you ever realized that it was where you were being called. And so he's going to kick your feet out from underneath you in that area so that you do not look there. Absolutely. We see so many examples of that, especially like Moses. And, you know, when God's calling him and he's like, I don't, I can't speak, you know, I don't know how to do this, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, in, in several other examples where people did not feel like they were equipped and we may not be equipped right then, but we actually can be equipped as we go, kind of like on the job training, (laughs) you know, we don't have to have all the answers or even have all the experience to do what we're called to do. So I love that you brought that out. We have looked at your six-week Bible study from a bird's eye view. We've talked about reveal, respond, receive, renew, rest, and reach. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share? I would just want to encourage women, especially, to know that God has a purpose and plans for their lives and to believe that, believe that their worth and value is not established by what the world says, but what God says, and that when we follow him, when we abide in the vine, when we Gather in community because that is so important to be in community because the enemy wants to isolate us. You know, we saw the whole thing with the pandemic and all of that. And now it's harder and harder for people to get back into being with other people, being in groups. Even now, there's there's many people who haven't even returned to church yet, but it is important to gather in community because we need to encourage one another and lift each other up, build each other up, which is what it says in first Thessalonians. And, you know, it is so important. So I would say right now that if you plan to do the study, you can definitely do it on your own and go through it on your own. But it is also so encouraging to go through it with a friend or a group of women together, because you may not, feel led to share certain things at certain times, but it there's something to be said about being able to share our hearts with others when God leads us to do that and in the right context and in, in the right people. So I would just encourage them not to isolate, to, to get back into community if you haven't been part of a community, or maybe God is calling you to start one because we might feel qualified to lead a Bible study or, or to lead anything, lead a, lead a book club, lead a, lead a group, a garden club, whatever, you know, we may not feel qualified or led to do that, but we don't have to have all the answers to do it. We just have to be willing and have the heart and open up our homes, get to know one another and 
God will really bless those deep relationships. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beautiful things about community with Christ, because we're already sisters. The first time I met you, were already connected and you know that as believers. And so the walls are down, not that we go trust in our business with everybody, but there is a bond that has already been created. So these are beautiful words to part on to invest in community so that you know you're not alone. And then of course, with Christ, you're never alone. Doris, it has been a pleasure speaking to you, your sweet spirit. It has been an absolute joy for me. Thank you so much, Doris. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on, Sherry. It's been so fun being on with you on the show and and you are a joy too. And I'm so blessed to know you. You take care of yourself. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.